0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection, I'm Mark Riley, and I'm so glad you're with us for another episode. Last week we talked about vaccine mandates and passports, which I thought would be contingent on an increase of knowledge about the Omicron variant. Well, a week's gone by and it doesn't seem like we know much more than we did last week. That would include the scientific community which sometimes seems to be bent on presenting worst case scenarios to both politicians and the public. Meanwhile, the number of COVID cases stemming from Omicron is going up, and it's going up fast. That confirms the scientific and medical community's assertion that this variant spreads. How virulent is this strain? Well, it depends on who you ask. One thing, however, is for sure. As news of the Omicron seeps deeper, into the population, the public is being told that the best way to guard against infection is to get the third booster shot. That would be the third booster shot of the vaccine, of course. Take up of the third varies widely, depending on where you are. In the U.S., for example, only one-third of those eligible have taken up the booster. Hopefully, that will go up. Over here in England, lines for the booster stretch for a good distance in many locations, probably because folks are nervous about being allowed into nightclubs and the like without proof of a vaccination, specifically proof of the booster. Even in the face of this run on vaccines, Brits are skeptical about their government and the extent to which some in Prime Minister Boris Johnson's staff ignored restrictions last year caused a huge scandal on this side of the pond. Be that as it may, what's making the scientific and medical community so nervous is Omicron seems to evade the first and second doses of the vaccine. All this contributes to vaccine resistance in some quarters leading up to the Christmas holiday. Not a little of this involves mass confusion about what the public should and should not do. Here are a couple of small examples. And they are small examples, but they contribute to confusion on the part of the public. No sooner did Omicron rear its head than the UK revived its red list and put several African countries on it. I believe it was 11 at its height. Three weeks later, the red list was scrapped, leaving large numbers of people stuck in hotels that they ended up having to pay for. Then there's the 15-minute rule. Until just the other day, people getting their vaccinations first, first, second, or booster had to wait 15 minutes before leaving the vaccination site. Then, poof, that too was scrapped. This has led people on this side of the pond to ask whether the red list and the 15-minute rule were necessary in the first place. In the states, vaccination requirements vary depending on what state you happen to be in. Some states have lax mask wearing and vaccine requirements because politicians figure that's what their constituents want. This, of course, has led to clashes with the medical and scientific communities. Just witness the vitriol aimed at Dr. Anthony Fauci as one example. The sad part is this has played out before. It boils down to health versus the economy. Do you up the ante on restrictions and risk? the collapse of whole industries, like, for example, hospitality, this argument will likely go on for as long as the coronavirus wreaks havoc on nations rich and poor, black and white, enlightened and unenlightened. Because, you see, the virus, especially Omicron, knows no borders and will infringe on the freedoms people think they're fighting for because COVID doesn't care about freedom. Yours, mine, or anyone else's. Meanwhile, an appeals court overturned a lower court ruling that blocked the Biden administration from requiring businesses of more than 100 employees to get vaccinated. Requiring to get vaccinated. That would be called a vaccine mandate. This one may wind up in the Supreme Court, but for now, it is a victory for the president. To me, the bottom line is this. Will the scientific and medical knowledge of Omicron, along with the vaccines that work, outrun the extraordinary transmissibility of this latest variant? And what of variants to come? Some are saying there may soon be a need for a second booster, as the current one may lose efficacy over time. And what of the public's patience? One more lockdown could be the one where that breaks the camel's back in terms of public compliance. Not a Christmas most people envisioned, for sure. And now comes word that the Netherlands has instituted a new lockdown to last until January fourteenth. Other countries in Europe, if they haven't instituted lockdowns yet, are well on their way. At least two, France and Germany, have closed their doors to British travelers. Is this the precursor to Europe and the UK being at each other's throats yet again? I found this whole barring travelers thing interesting because the Germans and the French have locked out the British, but they haven't locked out each other. Residents of France and Germany can go back and forth no problem. They seem to be aiming their ire, or aiming their concern, I guess to be fair, at the United Kingdom. Any button? Anyone remember that old Temptations song, Ball of Confusion? The chorus was, that's what the world is today. Up next, how serious is the rift between the US, Russia, and NATO over the Ukraine? Stay with us, this is The Intersection. Happy festive season from Mark Riley and the team at The Intersection. Welcome back to The Intersection. Bubbling under all the concerns about COVID this holiday season is the ongoing tension in the Ukraine. Since I have trouble finding the country on a map, I figure a little bit of history is in order. This beef, the current one, is about seven years old, but in fact goes back much, much further, further even than the end of the Soviet Union back in 1991. The Ukraine has gone back and forth between governments supportive of Russia and governments that want to westernize and join NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. The last convulsion was in 2014, when a Russian-backed government was toppled in the Ukraine. Soon after, Russia annexed Crimea and began backing Ukrainian rebels in the southeast of the country. Russian President Vladimir Putin has always seen the Ukraine as being in the Russian sphere of influence, if not part of Russia. He began massing Russian troops along a long border with Ukraine. This, of course, fueled fears of a Russian invasion, at which point NATO and the US began threatening sanctions, among other things. One unintended consequence of all this was re-engagement between the West and Putin, something Putin wanted. And so we have the current situation with accusations of torture and execution in rebel-held areas of the south and southeast of the Ukraine. What's fascinating to behold is the difference between the way Western media covers this story and the media and the uh, the way the media more sympathetic to Russia covers the same story. Take, for example, the deployment of NATO forces inside the Ukraine as a possible counter to Russia's deployment. Undergirding all this posturing is the creation in 2000 of the Eurasian Economic Community. This bloc was supposed to be Russia's answer to the EU, with several former Soviet republics creating a free trade zone. Trouble was, and is, Ukraine refused to join. Even beyond all this, what can the West do to convince Russia to back off? They can ramp up sanctions, which President Biden has already threatened to do. NATO may be convinced by Putin's assertion that he has no intention of invading the Ukraine, but Crimea doesn't help the West by that assertion. To top things off, the Russians have demanded NATO bar membership to Ukraine and to back off military maneuvers along the Russian border. There are noises about de-escalation on the part of both sides, but I get a sense that the issue of NATO membership for Ukraine could be a deal breaker for Russia. We shall see. And finally, are too many people feeling a profound sense of loss that makes it tough to celebrate this holiday season? This is The Intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Glad you're with us. Some years ago, a man who mentored me and countless others, a man I loved and respected, the late Percy Sutton, was at an event that I happened to be part of. As was my custom back then, I asked this great man how he was doing. His response stays with me to this day. He said, Mr. Riley, I've been attending too many funerals. Until then, it had never dawned on me that as we get older, we lose friends, loved ones, and yes, even acquaintances who we've spent quality time with in our lives. For me, 2021 marks a time during which not a day went by that I don't read about people who passed away, sadly passed away. Some of them, It was simply their time. They had lived full and productive lives. And people say, you know, people pass away, what, 85 or older. They say, you know, that person lived a full life. Unfortunately for me, a lot of this happens via Facebook. It's it's not to mock or uh, uh, denigrate Facebook. It's just that I wake up in the morning, I go to Facebook, and somebody in the States, because I'm five hours ahead i find out that somebody in the States had died the previous night. As the year went on, the feeling of loss when I read about a person dying became even more pronounced. It was driven home to me in May, when my beloved brother Norman passed away. I'm still not yet over that sense of loss. That loss combined with the feeling of being trapped by COVID has made it difficult for me to get into the holiday spirit. My dear wife, the executive producer of this podcast, has worked very hard at making our house a celebratory monument to Christmas. She's put up beautiful decorations of lights that people stop and look at on the front of our place. And yet, I can't help that this holiday is missing something. It's not for want of effort on my wife's part, that's for sure. If Facebook is any judge, I'm not alone. Many of my friends have put up posts Expressing the same kind of melancholy I'm feeling, there have been mitigations, of course. We took a night bus tour, my wife, daughter, and I, of London's Christmas lights that was truly uplifting. Yet, it looks like we on this side of the pond may spend this holiday the same way we spent the last one isolated, closed off, nervous about going into any indoor space for any length of time. And yet, call me crazy but I've always been a bit of an optimist. I've now spent two years living in a new country and my sense of wonder hasn't completely dimmed. I realized my wife's choice of where to live, Brighton, was an enlightened one. This city suits my temperament more than any other British city outside London. I've made a number of health and lifestyle changes that I never thought I'd ever make. I've made a few friends, too. And as far as those health and lifestyle changes, I never thought I needed to make them. But I did. I've also kept this podcast alive and hopefully kicking for another year. I've learned not to take for granted the good people I've met in my life. Even for a relatively short period of time. Or people I haven't seen in decades who I've been lucky enough to reconnect with at this time in my life there are times I wonder whether I look too often at what I've done and not enough at what I can do in the future. That is in fact what's keeping me going and hopefully moving forward. I'm taking the rest of the holiday off so expect to hear from me again just after New Year's Day. This year's podcasts are dedicated to my brother Norman. Not a day goes by that I don't think of you and wish you were still here with us. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well.